This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Merry Christmas to all. Oh, holy night. The stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. The famous lyrics from that beloved Christmas carol, Oh Holy Night. Welcome everybody to this special Christmas Day edition of Janet Meffer Today. On today's broadcast, we're going to take a walk through that holy night when Jesus Christ was born. Sometimes though, we move too quickly. We want to jump right to that blessed birth of our Savior and pass over the reason why he came. Why did God himself come to earth in human flesh in the first place? Well, it's captured in that line from O Holy Night, long lay the world in sin and error pining. It was our sin that sent him here. And on this Christmas day, this is where the story has to start. Let's begin with some reflections on sin with the late Dr. R.C. Sproul, founder of Ligonier Ministries. Well, when we talk about debt and transgressions, the scriptures say that we are debtors who cannot pay their debts. God, and God alone, has the absolute right to impose obligations to His creatures. And He has done that. He has said, you must do this, you must not do that. And imposing those obligations, we owe it to God to perform those obligations. If we don't, we become debtors to the law, and debtors to the God of the law. And the problem that we face, as we learn in the New Testament, is that we're debtors who can't file for chapter 11. There's no way we can pay the debt. It's a hopeless task. It's a fool's errand to try to pay the debt that we owe. But this is what's basic to our human thing, is we can't stand that. We want to be able somehow to pay the debt and meet the obligation, rather than to say, I'm helpless. I'm a debtor who can't pay my debts. The only way I can stand before a just and holy God is if somebody else pays the debt. And the only one who has earned the right to pay somebody else's debt is the Son of God. Dr. Sproul is right. Jesus Christ is the only one who can save sinners. And that's why when you pour through the Old Testament, you will find prophecy after prophecy foretelling that in the fullness of time, God would send forth his son. He would send Israel, its Messiah, the promised one who would save his people from their sins. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will perform that good thing which I have promised to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause to grow up to David a branch of righteousness. He shall execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell safely. And this is the name by which she will be called the Lord our righteousness. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. 
It's such a beautiful prophecy. The 19th century Anglican Bishop J.C. Ryle reminded us that the Old Testament promised the coming of the Christ child. And I want to read to you a little bit of what Bishop Ryle had to say. It was Christ crucified who is set forth in every Old Testament sacrifice. Every animal slain and offered on an altar was a practical confession that a Savior was looked for who would die for sinners. A Savior who should take away man's sin by suffering as his substitute and sin bearer in his stead. It is absurd to suppose that an unmeaning slaughter of innocent beasts without a distinct object in view could please the eternal God. It was Christ to whom Abel looked when he offered a better sacrifice than Cain. Not only was the heart of Abel better than that of his brother, but he showed his knowledge of vicarious sacrifice and his faith in an atonement. He offered the firstlings of his flock with the blood thereof, and in so doing declared his belief that without shedding of blood, there is no remission. It was Christ of whom Enoch prophesied in the days of abounding wickedness before the flood. Behold, he said, the Lord Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all. It was Christ to whom Abraham looked when he dwelt in tents in the land of promise. He believed that in his seed, in one born of his family, all the nations of the earth should be blessed. By faith, he saw Christ's day and was glad. It was Christ of whom Jacob spoke to his sons as he lay dying. He marked out the tribe out of which he would be born and foretold that gathering together unto him which is yet to be accomplished. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. It was Christ who was the substance of the ceremonial law, which God gave to Israel by the hand of Moses. The morning and evening sacrifice, the continual shedding of blood, the altar, the mercy seat, the high priest, the Passover, the day of atonement, the scapegoat, all these were so many pictures, types, and emblems of Christ and his work. God had compassion upon the weakness of his people. He taught them Christ line upon line. And as we teach little children by similitudes, it was in this sense, especially that the law was a schoolmaster to read the Jews unto Christ. It was Christ to whom God directed the attention of Israel by all the daily miracles, which were done before their eyes in the wilderness, the pillar of cloud and fire which guided them, the manna from heaven, which every morning fed them, the water from the smitten rock, which followed them, all and each were figures of Christ. The bronze serpent on that memorable occasion when the plague of fiery serpents was sent upon them was an emblem of Christ. And it was Christ of whom all the judges were types, Joshua and David and Gideon and Jephthah and Samson and all the rest whom God raised up to deliver Israel from captivity, all were emblems of Christ. Weak and unstable and faulty as some of them were, they were set for examples of better things in the distant future. All were meant to remind the tribes of that far higher deliverer who was yet to come. It was Christ of whom David the king was a type anointed and chosen when few gave him honor, despised and rejected by Saul and all the tribes of Israel, persecuted and obliged to flee for his life, a man of sorrow all his life, and yet at length a conqueror. In all these things, David represented Christ. It was Christ of whom all the prophets from Isaiah to Malachi 
spoke. This is so significant to consider the fact that when we look at Jesus, the Christ child in the manger, we are not just looking at someone who came into existence 2,000 some years ago. We are looking at the eternal God, the eternal son of God, God incarnate. This is God in human flesh. And I think sometimes we forget how unbelievably mind-blowing that is, that God would humble himself to become a man, to put on that human flesh. It was a form of humiliation for him to do something of that nature. And yet, if he didn't take on our flesh, he could not be our savior. And yet, if he were not God, he could not save because he had to be sinless. And so the scripture tells us that as Jesus grew and as he lived his life, he was sinless. He was absolutely holy. He never did anything wrong, not one time, not one error, not one sin throughout his whole life. And why was that? Going back to the Old Testament type, he had to be that perfect Lamb of God in order to take away the sins of the world. And that's why when we look at the Old Testament and we see how Israel discovered its sin and in turn how we discover ours by looking at the demands of God's law, we know we can't save ourselves. There's no way we could ever get to heaven apart from a savior who would come to earth and lay down his life for us, shed his blood for us, and then most importantly, rise from the dead on the third day as Jesus did. We'll take a break and come back to more of this wonderful holy night on this Christmas Day edition of Janet Mefford Today. If you could provide God's word to a Bible-less believer elsewhere in the world, would you? Through the ministry of Bible League International, you can send that Bible today. Hebrews 13.3 urges us to remember those in great need, noting that when the body of Christ anywhere is found lacking, we're encouraged to help provide it. These believers live where churches are small and remote, where authorities aren't welcoming of Christianity, and where Bibles are scarce. As Pastor Carlo in Peru says, they need the hope found only in God's word. Everyone wants to read the Bible. Bible, but what happens there are a few copies here in the area. Many of them will uh, be sharing the single Bible. For only $5, believers around the world will receive Bibles and be discipled in their new faith. $35 sends seven Bibles, $100 sends 20. And because of a matching gift right now, your gift will be doubled. Call 800 Yes Word, 800 Y E S W O R D, 800 Yes Word, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. The healthcare open enrollment period has ended in most states. Did you miss it? Don't go a whole year without having a healthcare program. Sign up for Liberty HealthShare. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up now with memberships starting as early as the following month. And there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $349 per month. And there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not in 
insurance, so your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you, too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org jmt. That's libertyhealthshare.org jmt or 855-585-4237. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back to our Christmas Day edition of Janet Mefford Today. It is a delight to have you with us. A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Those words have really been going through my brain over the last several months. In fact, the entire year is just incredible. These beautiful lyrics from that Christmas carol we all love, Oh Holy Night. We are examining the truths we sing in that song on this special day so that we will remember the miracle of the birth of our Lord and Savior. Now consider that line, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. Has there ever been a better time to feel that thrill of hope than today? We do live in a weary world. It's a world that's weighed down by sin, bringing no end of tragedy and despair and death. And yet there is hope because on that night long ago, our weary world received its promised king. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign of you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph in the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told of them concerning this child. And all those who had heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Pastor Colin Smith from Unlocking the Bible explains why the angel's declaration to the shepherds was especially significant. Friends, we need a Savior. And the good news is that the Savior has come. And that is precisely because we need a Savior, why it is good news of such great joy. And when you see how much you need a Savior, which you will see when you come to see how far you are away from the holiness of God, then you will come to have great joy in the knowledge that the Savior has come. So it's good news. That's going to give you an altogether different direction of response when you grasp that. It's of great joy. Why? Because this is precisely what all of us need. And then the angel said to the shepherds, it is for all the people. Verse 10, it is good news of great joy, and it will be for all the people. Now, surely this is the great significance of the shepherds and the kings in the Christmas story. The shepherds were simply the bottom of the pile. They were despised people. 
I wonder if you knew that shepherds, because they were so distrusted, if you were a shepherd by profession, you could not give evidence in a court of law. Uh, that was the level of distrust. Shepherd, don't take any, you know, if, if you heard a story and you passed it on to a friend and they said, where did you hear that? And you said, a shepherd told me. They'd say, oh, forget that. Take that with a pinch of salt. Don't listen to anything a shepherd says. That was the degree to which these folks were distrusted as a profession among the most despised people of the time. So here they are, the bottom of the pile, and what does God do? He sends the angels to reveal and to announce the Savior to them, and he says to them, at the bottom of the pile, a Savior is born to you. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen a star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me, that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Isn't that interesting? It wasn't just the lowly shepherds who rejoiced over the birth of Jesus Christ. The Savior's entry into humanity also drew the attention of people who were at the top of the heap, earthly speaking. Here again is Pastor Colin Smith. But then who else is drawn to the manger? Shepherds and kings. The kings are obviously the top of the pile. People of great learning, people who are known and famed for wisdom, people who have the kind of wealth that would enable them to bring a gift of solid gold. Not everybody can do that. The vast majority of people can't. But for all their learning and for all their wealth, these people need a Savior every bit as much as the shepherds do. The birth of the Savior is good news of great joy, and it's for all people. It's for from every spectrum in society, every level of learning, every level of living and of wealth. That is what is being said here as it's announced from heaven. So here's this marvelous announcement. A Savior. A Savior's born today, and it's good news. Don't, don't back away from this Jesus. You're not coming to place a load of demands on you. He's coming to give what you do not have. He's a Savior. And it's of great joy because this is what you need. It's for all people. Uh, don't ever think that you're somehow outside of the range of people for whom Jesus came. It's everybody from the shepherds to the kings. That's amazing. Back in 1867, the preacher Horatius Bonar had this to say about the promise we received the day Christ was born. He said this, the message that comes to us from Bethlehem is a very decided one. It is not a finished one. 
It was only finished at the cross, but so far as it goes, it is quite explicit, quite unambiguous. It means love, peace, pardon, eternal life. The lesson taught us at Bethlehem is the lesson of grace, the grace of God, the grace of the Father and of the Son. We may learn much indeed as to the way of life from Bethlehem. It must not indeed stand alone. You must associate it with Jerusalem. You must bring the cradle and the cross together. But still it teaches us the first part of the great lesson of peace. It says, though not so fully as Golgotha, that God is love. The beginning is not the end, but still it is the beginning. The dawn is not the noon, but still it is the dawn. Bethlehem is not Jerusalem, but still it is Bethlehem. And the Prince of Peace is there. The God of Salvation is there. The manifested life is there. Do not despise Bethlehem. Do not pass it by. Come, see the place where the young child lay. Look at the manger. There's the lamb for the burnt offering, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. These little tender hands shall yet be torn. These feet that have not yet trod this rough earth shall be nailed to the tree. That side shall yet be pierced by a Roman spear. That back shall be scourged. That cheek shall be buffeted and spit upon. That brow shall be crowned with thorns and all for you. Is not this love? Is it not the great love of God? And in this love... Is there not life? And in this life, is there not salvation and a kingdom and a throne? At Bethlehem, the fountain of love was opened and its waters have gushed out in their fullness. The well of David has overflowed the earth and the nations now may drink. The good news have gone forth from the city of David and all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Now, I had mentioned before the prophecies in the Old Testament concerning Christ and his coming. And one of those that we read, generally speaking, around Easter time is Isaiah 53. But consider these words in light of what Horatius Bonar has pointed out, that really the dawn of Bethlehem was the dawn of what we would see later at the cross. And here's what Isaiah 53 says, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hid their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due? It goes on, but the point is this, that baby came to die. That baby came to die, not just for all people. He came to die for you. He came to die for you because it was not the case that he wanted you to pay for your own sin. 
He so loved you and so cared for you that he laid down his life on your behalf. And the wonderful good news is that to all who believe, they will be saved. We have more to come on Janet Meffer today on this special Christmas Day edition. Stay with us. This is Janet Mefford today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Welcome to our Christmas Day edition of Janet Mefford today. It is wonderful to have you with us and Merry Christmas to you and yours. This is my favorite day of the year and I hope it is yours as well. We are taking some time this hour to examine some of the lyrics from Oh Holy Night, a beloved Christmas carol of many of us. And we had considered a few moments ago that portion of the song that says a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. And there is so much hope in that. Think about the hope that had been longed for. They had hoped and hoped and hoped and prayed and prayed and prayed that they would see the Messiah. So many of God's people in the Old Testament longed for that day. And finally, it came. Finally, this baby was born and placed in a manger. And he did not come as many people thought he would. There are a few things I think that God does that we all could predict. But in fact, we look back from our point in history and we can see exactly who Jesus is now. And as the lyrics of O Holy Night say, fall on your knees. Oh, hear the angel voices. O night divine. O night when Christ was born. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now, when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. The Savior is born and the promise of God has been fulfilled. The Messiah has come and the shepherds glorified God. What is our response when we hear the good news that Christ was born? I think it's very easy for us, especially those of us who have been Christians for years and years and years, to let all of these wonderful passages of scripture sound like old hat. Oh yes, there's the Christmas story. Oh yes, Luke 2. Yes, I've heard it a million times. Yes, when we go back to those famous prophecies in Isaiah about Jesus coming, we've heard it all. We know, we know. But do we really? Do we really stop and consider how wonderful Christ is, how wonderful it is that God did this for us. And maybe we will take some time like never before to consider that, this thrill of hope that we have as our weary world rejoices. Now, back in 1862, William Nicholson preached a sermon on Psalm 914, which says, I will rejoice in your salvation. And here's what he said. No one can rejoice in salvation unless he understands it. There will be a knowledge of the necessity of salvation arising from the conviction of one's fallen, guilty, and condemned state before God, of the accomplishment of salvation by the atoning death 
resurrection, and intercession of Jesus Christ, that when received, salvation will grant pardon to the guilty, justification to the condemned, liberty to the spiritual captive, health to the spiritually sick, sight to the spiritually blind, and in short, all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. No one can ever rejoice in salvation unless he has felt his need of it. The Spirit has opened the eyes of his understanding and revealed to him his great guilt and need of the Savior. He now knows the plague of his own heart. He now feels his utter helplessness and perceives the adaptation of the Savior to his state as a perishing sinner. He goes on to say this, true salvation always produces joy and rejoicing. I will rejoice in your salvation. The sick person rejoices when his disease departs, when the bloom of health again mantles his cheek. The debtor rejoices when his debts are discharged. The culprit rejoices when reprieved, when he hears the opening of the doors of his prison house. And shall not the penitent and believing sinner rejoice? He's saved, saved, saved from the guilt of sin. Saved from the condemnation of sin, saved from the dominion of sin, saved from the power of death, saved from the dominion of the grave, and saved from the vengeance of everlasting fire. This joy springs from the realization of divine mercy through the sin-atoning death of Christ. This rejoicing is over an infinite soul, redeemed by an infinite price, from an infinite damnation to infinite joys realized first here, and then to be realized fully in an infinite heaven. What a possession. What a prospect. I will rejoice in your salvation. I love this particular passage from the sermon because it says so much. It reminds us why we rejoice in salvation, why we rejoice in what Jesus Christ did for us. The same way a sick person rejoices when he gets well, the same way that somebody who is deep in debt rejoices when somebody pays off his loans, the same way that someone who has been imprisoned feels when those prison doors open and the warden says, you can go now. Those people rejoice, and those are just earthly joys. How much more do we rejoice because we are saved from the guilt and the condemnation and the dominion and the power of sin? We are saved from the power of death. We are saved from the dominion of the grave, and we are saved from the vengeance of everlasting fire, and we are transferred from this infinite possibility of damnation that is mentioned here with this everlasting fire reference to hell. We are delivered to infinite everlasting joy joy here on earth and joy forever in heaven with Christ. And it reminds me how important it is for us never to forget what Jesus has really done for us. And I go back to the book of Hebrews, God's final word in his son in chapter one. And I'd like to read some of this because I think it reminds us of how glorious Christ is. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much 
better than the angels, as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be a father to him and he shall be a son to me. And when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, and let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain and they all will become old like a garment and like a mantle, you will roll them up like a garment. They will also be changed, but you are the same and your years will not come to an end. But to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? For this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Another important consideration, while you are alive, while you are hearing my voice, while you are able to pick up a Bible and read it, there is hope for you, even if you're not a Christian right now. Even if you have said all of your life, I have no interest in God, I have no interest in religion, you have time to be saved. You have time to repent. And this is the best time to do so because the greatest good news that ever was offered to the world is right before you. And when we come back, we're going to talk more about it on this Christmas Day edition of Janet Mefford Today. Hi, this is Kirk Cameron, and I am honored to be partnering with the Ministry of Preborn to help moms choose life. Actor Kirk Cameron supports Preborn. My four oldest children were adopted. That is because of caring and compassionate people who help those young mothers choose life. My wife is an adopted child and her birth mother chose life for her. If it weren't for those caring individuals that help those young moms value the sacredness of life, I wouldn't have my wife, I wouldn't have my four adopted children, and the two natural born children that we have wouldn't exist either. My whole family is here because of people People that are involved with ministries like Preborn. Preborn funds pregnancy centers across the nation so they can offer free ultrasounds to women in crisis pregnancies. Ultrasound is a game changer because when abortion minded women actually see their babies in their wombs for themselves, 80% of the time, 
they choose life. The Ministry of Preborn is the largest nationwide provider of free ultrasounds for expectant moms in crisis. There's just something about seeing your own baby's heartbeat that moves a mom's heart toward life like nothing else. Will you please help support preborn in the cause for life? One ultrasound is just $28, or five ultrasounds are $140. And now through a matching gift, your gift will be doubled, rescuing 10 babies' lives. To donate, just call 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. All gifts are tax deductible. That's 855-402-BABY. Let's do more than talk about abortion. Let's save some lives. Please call now with your gift, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-BABY. 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Merry Christmas to you. We are so excited that you are here and we are rejoicing today in the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah that had been foretold throughout all the Old Testament. And in the fullness of time, God sent forward his son to save us. That baby in the manger was not a mere baby in a manger. If he were, we never would have heard his name. But the reason that we have heard his name is because he was the Lord of glory and he still is. The words of O Holy Night are so moving and they have meant so much to me this year when we talk about a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. And at the juncture in this hymn where it says, fall on your knees, O hear the angel voices, O night divine, O night when Christ was born. Can you imagine what it must have been like to have been a shepherd on that glorious night. Now, the story of Christmas isn't just a pleasant story about a little baby born in unusual circumstances. As we know, Jesus came into the world not to make you a good person. He didn't come into the world to inspire you to try harder in life. John 3 verses 16 and 17 tell us exactly why the baby in Bethlehem was born. There are few passages that summarize it this well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Pastor Adrian Rogers of Love Worth Finding Ministries, who is now with the Lord himself, had this to say about this all-important meaning of Christmas. Jesus came the first Christmas to die in the sinner's place. Jesus is coming the second Christmas to receive the sinner to himself. Our faith looks backward to a crucified Savior. Our love looks upward to a crowned Savior. And our hope looks forward to a coming Savior. Do you know Jesus? He is coming to be glorified, admired in all them that believe. Would you believe on him? I'm not talking about mere intellectual belief. Will you trust him? Put your faith in him. Will you do it now? Would you pray a prayer like this? Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I believe that you're the virgin-born Son of God. I believe you paid my sin debt with your blood on the cross. I believe that God raised you from the dead. And I now receive you by faith as my Lord and Savior. I trust you now. Forgive my sin. Cleanse me. Save me. Lord Jesus. 
This always moves me to hear the gospel being offered in this way. I am fully aware that if you listen to me on a daily basis throughout the course of the year, you hear me talk about an awful lot of things. You hear me do interviews with various pastors and Christian leaders and political thinkers. We really cover the gamut of the news and what's going on in the culture and what's going on in the church. And we do a lot of different subjects. But maybe you have never heard the gospel. Maybe you had never heard that before that the grace of God is being extended to you. This has been a tough situation for many people I know during the course of the year. And I know there are a lot of people who feel hopeless. And if you're one of those people, I want you to listen very closely to the word of God and what it has to say about the hope that God is trying to tell you about. Not an entire listening radio audience only, but to you, You who are hearing my voice, you who maybe have left church because you were disgusted by how people treated you. Maybe you grew up in a home where they went to church on Sunday and they didn't act like Christians during the course of the week and you felt like you lost your faith or you felt like you didn't think God cared about you at all. This is for you. Listen. But now the righteousness of God apart from law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness. Because in His forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness, that he might be just in the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That is the greatest promise of all time. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You have that opportunity. Maybe you've realized at this point in your life that you can't make it on your own. Maybe you thought you could. Maybe you believe that if you worked your way up the corporate ladder or if you were successful in your home life or you were able to make a big name for yourself in your community or any other sorts of achievements, that that would be enough and you would feel fulfilled and you would feel like you had contributed to the world and everything would be great. And yet now you're realizing it's not true. Or maybe you have come to a place where you recognize your own guilt, your own sin. Maybe you've come to a point in your life where you have finally had to face the facts that you need help. You may need help in some area involving alcohol or drug use. You may need help regarding your inability to overcome your own guilt. You may have a relationship that you can't possibly fix. All of these things are common to all of us. But let me tell you about this wonderful Savior, this wonderful Lord of ours, Jesus Christ. Dr. James Allen Francis once preached a sermon that should forever cement for us the glory of Jesus's one solitary life. And if you've never heard this before, you need to listen to this. Here is a man who was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another village. He worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. Then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never owned a home. 
He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never had a family. He never went to college. He never put his foot inside a big city. He never traveled 200 miles from the place he was born. He never did one of the things that usually accompany greatness. He had no credentials but himself. While still a young man, the tide of popular opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. One of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies. He went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed upon a cross between two thieves. While he was dying, his executioners gambled for the only piece of property he had on earth, his coat. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Nineteen long centuries have come and gone. And today he is a centerpiece of the human race and leader of the column of progress. I am far within the mark when I say that all the armies that ever marched, all the navies that were ever built, all the parliaments that ever sat, and all the kings that ever reigned put together have not affected the life of man upon this earth as powerfully as has that one solitary life. That life was given for you. It's our prayer at Janet Mefford today that you would know this Jesus. If you don't know him already, if you have never put your faith and trust in him before, it is our prayer that he would become your savior and your Lord. He loves you. There will never be anyone you ever know who loves you with the depth of love that he loves you with. And all of us need love. And the love of human beings is wonderful, but it falls short. The love of God never falls short, never. But we need to understand and recognize that we have fallen short. We have fallen short of the glory of God because we have disobeyed him. He has told us his law. He has given to us the 10 commandments and we fail. We fail because we have a sin nature that we have inherited from Adam going all the way back to the fall in the Garden of Eden. We can't do anything about our sin nature except we can respond to the gift that God has given to us in Jesus Christ. And if you have put your faith and trust in his sacrifice for you, please let us know. You can contact us through JanetMefford.com. And if you are a Christian, and I'm excited If you are a Christian already, I pray you will feel that thrill of hope that makes the weary world rejoice today. And that's because Jesus Christ is born. As Acts 4.12 tells us, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Thank you so much for listening. Merry Christmas, everyone.